promise of regenerative agriculture is that each being or each thing or being really that's part of that system is the full expression of itself. So the the sheep get to be completely sheep and pigs are completely pigs. Like they get to be their little piggy selves and the people get to be, you know, there's this freedom and you, you get to do what you're designed to do and the plants and the soil and all the life in the soil, everything is playing its role to its fullest potential. To me, that's abundance. That is absolute abundance. And we think of holistic management as the how and this regenerative abundance as the end goal. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Farm to Table Talk, we look at what's happening throughout the world, and we find people that are trying to make a difference, that look at the way the world is now, farming, food systems, and so forth, and they're trying to improve it. Well, hardly anybody is doing more of that than Savory Institute, and my guest today, Abby Smith, and Abby is the Savory Global Network Coordinator, and Abby, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you, Roger. It's wonderful to be here. I'm really happy. Thank you. Well, you know, we're happy you're here, too. And there's people that are going to be happy they get a chance to listen to you because you're inspiring in that you get to do good things, um, helping people, helping the world, getting engaged in trying to um, promote holistic management, looking at grasslands and it has implications for climate change, all kinds of good things and all over the world. But explain a little bit more than I just did mm-hmm. of this mission of the Savory Institute that, that you're involved with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the mission of the Savory Institute is to regenerate the world's grasslands and all of its inhabitants. So that's something that you could read on our website. That's, um, you know, it's, it's very well known, but I wanted to let you, Roger, and your listeners in on a little inside perspective that we don't often publicize. And that's our statement of purpose as a as an organization. And I, I want to share it because I think it's so important to understanding who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And so um, the statement of purpose of the Savory Institute is to expand holistic management into global consciousness. And what I love about What I love about that and what is intriguing about it is it doesn't say anything about livestock. It doesn't say anything about soil or grass or or landform, which is what we're usually known for. I think a lot of people have seen Alan's TED Talk and they think about his insight into the relationship between soil and grass, um, herding animals and pack hunting predators and how they move across the land. And then that's that relationship that evolved over time. And so people think think of savory, they think of savory institute, and they think of these big savannas in Africa, which is absolutely accurate, but there's more to it. That's a bigger story. And the reason that our, our statement of purpose is to shift global consciousness is that we really believe that a reductionist mindset and a reductionist way of, of going through life and making decisions is causing problems. It's the management that's causing the problems. It's not the things that we're managing livestock, for example, you know, it's that it's not like Diana Rogers always says, it's, it's not the cow, it's the how, meaning that um, it's not the animal 
that does it. It's how it's managed and in the timing of it. Um, and so that reductionist mindset is what we want to shift into a more holistic perspective. And we think if that can happen, man, with human creativity, we can take our world in a, in a new direction. And we feel like if that shift happens on a global scale, we'll be able to go where we need to go fast enough um, to prevent, as Alan says, I think he says something like horror beyond imagination. Like if we keep on our path, it's really awful. Uh, and I, I mean, that's my words that are, you know, kindergarten proof, but he says, he says like, we have to change and we need to do it soon. And, and we believe that, that, that fundamental shift in our thinking is what need that will be the change. And then our whole strategy, the network, all of that is built on that statement of purpose. I love that, but I'm going to have you restate it again, because you were saying to apply as a holistic management to achieve global consciousness. I didn't. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's um, to, to my goodness, now I'm blanking on it, um, to shift global, um, to basically to change to a holistic worldview, to shift ah. global consciousness toward holistic management. But it's not holistic management. It's like from a reductionist to a holistic view. And that's what we're wanting to shift, right? To see the interconnectedness, to see, um, to make decisions considering the whole is what we think needs to happen fundamentally. To me, that it it sounds like, like mindfulness um, Hmm. that, that put yourself into situations that you can like slow down and take a look at what's right and see uh, and recognize how you can contribute to, harmony uh that pull things together and i i can see applying that mindset to whether you were uh, in a ranch or a farm or looking at a, at a looking at a program and mm-hmm. um i love that but i think i'm going to have to enroll in a seminar to be able to talk it through a little bit more and and with that view it seems to me that it it starts with the way that you look at the world, but it also then the way that you look at your farmland, the area that you have responsibility for, your rangeland and so forth. Uh, it's slow down, reflect, know how it all how it all fits together. Absolutely, so yeah. A, in a way, then, you're not simply out there like an extension agent that is saying, okay, you need to plant the seeds and then you need to bring the livestock in like that. It, it sounds like uh, at some level you're trying to teach an attitude and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, an, and an approach that yeah. is a, a beyond just, okay, the reductionist, like you say, kind of, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's intriguing, Abby. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. It's not, yeah, it'd be much easier to just have a, a set of best practices in a document and hand those out and, and push those. But that's not going to do the work that we need to do to take our world in the direction it needs to go, we think. And um, yeah, that the idea of a, um, I know I might be jumping ahead, but the savory. Yeah. So I'm, so you introduced my title within the Savory Institute. I'm the global network coordinator. And I was, I was laughing on our um, 
our clubhouse conversation yesterday because a lot of people think that I work in IT, in information technology, because a network coordinator. And so they'll start talking to me about the way computers talk to each other. And, and like I, they, they lose me immediately. I'm like, no, no, not that type of network. It's a human network. Um, and the, so the network is made up of um, educators and professionals that teach and practice holistic management and, um, and savory hubs. And those are this new kind of this new player on the holistic management scene is, and that's really what Savory Institute's bringing to the table in this space is the, the this hub model and um, the network connects those hub leaders. And in your comparison to an extension agent, a hub is in a region of the world and serves that region of the world, but through ongoing support and, and ongoing learning with in partnership or in harmony with land managers, pastoralists, farmers, ranchers, whatever, you know, those managing the land are in that part of the world. Yeah. Well, that's, it's such an, it's such an interesting perspective. I think that when you're in that kind of role, you don't have sharp definition of boundaries. It seems like, I mean, when you're creating a hub to me, it's like picking an area, but it's not like say extension is organized by counties and by uh, the, the states, uh, the land grant universities, and then globally, you've got the country positions, but it seems that the core of your program is a, is a philosophy, is a, a belief and approach and how you need to be working with the world. And you can take that and apply it. Literally, you apply it around the world. So the, the key thing is not necessarily the geographic boundaries. It's like, who wants to get behind this and make it work? Who are the, who are the people that are creating the inspiration and the vision and the coaching and the encouragement to take these changes that you're talking about towards a global consciousness that's going to be good for the world, good for all the way around many different ways. I hope we have a chance to touch on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to make sure that extension agents are are not discredited in this because I, you know, I work with a lot of them and, and their programs are fantastic. What we add to that, so we're not taking away or pushing or competing with that, but we add a layer in there to this, to this work to help people understand extension agents and um, land managers understand, okay, what actions, which programs do we need to apply at what time in order to get the outcomes that we want to see based on our holistic context that we've created together. So we're making decisions about actions on the land in context. Um, so yeah. these, you know, there's so much knowledge and so much amazing information out there, but if it's applied at the wrong time or in the wrong way, it's not going to have the effects that we want. And so we can add this decision-making framework to help people with timing, basically. You know, speaking of helping people, we help some people see this vision. When you were in Clubhouse, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, and you came to Clubhouse. It was your first visit to Clubhouse. Yeah. And yeah. I've mentioned it here in my podcast before because I've got many listeners that are on Clubhouse now. And I've heard the we have a farm to table talk room in Clubhouse, a couple of them that are taking place. And you were you were able to join us. And we had people coming in from all over the world. We had from Australia and New Zealand and Canada and England and Kenya and some several other places, I think. And then in addition, all over the United States. Uh, that were very interested in what you're doing. Uh, and I was, and I think some are going to follow up with you and wanting, they're going to want to know how they could help establish 
a hub in their area if their a hub doesn't exist right now. Right. But right. I, I wonder what surprised you about that whole experience, about those conversations that you had on Clubhouse. I, I really enjoyed it. It was really easy to join. You know, I was about uh, a busy person. And so like a half an hour before it started, I'm quickly downloading the app on my phone, but it was like, boop, 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 and I was in and it was easy and easy to set up and easy to join, easy to talk. And I feel like for most of us in the regenerative space, and especially in, I mean, in farming and ranching in general, we're really busy. And, and things that conversations that you can take with you while you're doing, you know, going about your day are really important. I think otherwise people wouldn't be able to join. So I loved that there was a woman in there who's ranching and she was out checking cows while she was also in the room with us. And there was, you know, other folks out doing their, their everyday things and also talking to us. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. And I think there'll be a lot of follow-up. And I think some of the people that saw you in Clubhouse or heard you in Clubhouse are going to be listening to the podcast this weekend too. And they're well, going hello. to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hi. yeah, welcome, welcome <laughs> back. They don't get to speak up like they did in Clubhouse. They, yeah. they have to get their questions into your, to your earlier, you know, broadly, when I look at the, at what you're doing and uh, around the world, how do you hope the world is different from this? You know, you, you mentioned as far as moving towards a more global consciousness and that expression mm-hmm. of that is what deserts avoided, uh, you know, carbon sequestered, uh, mm-hmm. more areas that are green and, and productive, uh, regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. Are those the kinds of things that would, would mark the progress that you hope to have made? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's all. That is all great thing. Um, <laughs> okay. I was, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I want to. Yes, I think so. Yes, yes, yes. Check, check, yes to all those. Yeah, I was on a. I was facilitating a session with a lot of new hub leaders this morning, actually, and we were working through what we call the regenerative framework of organizational design. So we do when we work with hubs, we help them so that their organizations are designed in a way that increase human energy and increase abundance in hum- in in the people because we know that we cannot do this important work and and it's going to take massive amounts of human creativity and energy to do it and we cannot burn ourselves out in the process so how do we design organizations and structures within organizations to uplift um so we so part of that is imagining the abundance that you want to create like what's the ultimate vision right the ultimate that moonshot some people call it. So I, I'm warmed up for your question because I was talking about it this morning um, with all the hub leaders globally, this new group coming in. And for me, I always go back to a conversation that I had with one of my fellow hub leaders, Jesse McDougall from Studio Hill Farm in Vermont. And he he says that the promise of regenerative is of regenerative agriculture is that each being or each thing being really that's part of that system is the full expression of itself so the the sheep get to be completely sheep and pig pigs are completely pigs like they get to be their little piggy selves and um the people get to be you know there's this freedom and that you you get to do what you're designed to do and the plants and the soil and all the life in the soil everything is is playing its role to its fullest potential and when you have um to me that's abundance that is that is absolute abundance and and we think of holistic management as the how and this regenerative abundance as the, the end goal. And, and it's just not how we're 
taught. It's not how we're designed to think uh, or we're taught to think, you know, with the reductionist mindset. So, um, yes, that's what I would add to all those check boxes that you mentioned. I would add that each being is the full expression of themselves and they have ultimate freedom to be who they were designed to be. Which gets around to the fact that um, kind of letting grassland be grassland. Um, yeah. There's right. areas that have been heavily cropped and sometimes with um, just corn or just soybeans that some would argue should have stayed in tall grass prairies uh, and that instead have been cropped. And there's an, in other ways places that have taken livestock totally out of the picture, which they should have been in them. And of course, that's something that Alan Savory talks about too, is looking at, and in some cases, they really need to be sure they're incorporating the right kind of grazing too, to be to be able to let all these components, whether it's the, the grass, the livestock, the farmers, the ranchers, be all they can be, that kind of expression. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I'm, I'm trying to avoid falling into getting too spiritual about it because it, it, there's a certain spirituality to it. It's kind of that that just really resonates that that makes a, a lot of sense. Now, there's some people listening to this that will say they're getting a little out there for me. <laughs> they're just not quite used to that, used to yeah. that language. But I would think that that um, that that works. And I'm sure you get that enthusiasm among people that are setting up a hub, that they catch that vision and they catch that spirit and they can respond. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so funny that you use that term, Roger. I've actually never heard it except for today. And this is the second time I've had that conversation today about the, the approach of the work of regenerative agriculture and holistic management being a, having a spiritual component. And I, and it was actually with a farmer in Fallon, Nevada he and I were talking about it and he's, he's converting um, to a lot of uh, what we would, I'm just going to categorize as regenerative practices. He's doing cover cropping. He's experimenting with a lot of things and so energized and excited. And, and he actually explained it that way too, that because it's, you change the way you look at the land and how you treat the land and yourself and other people and, and life itself. And so I absolutely think that's accurate even if it is kind of not what we usually talk about. Well, you know, I'm getting more into it myself all the time, but for some people it throws them for a loop. And mm -hmm. I, I think that one of the people that was make was talking to you uh, in clubhouse the other day was, mm -hmm. was taking the same approach with their livestock that mm -hmm. in how the livestock were produced and letting the hogs be hogs and letting the cattle be cattle, and, you know, letting the chickens be chickens. And, and, and in a way, it reminds me, in a strange way, I have to say, is that there have been several books written in the last couple of years about things like The Hidden Life of Trees and The, the Overstory. And, um, and I think there might have been three or four books, and I've, I've read, I read them so far. But it got me to thinking that while you can appreciate the trees, uh, really, you can appreciate the clover and the alfalfa and the and the sheep, and you look at them differently and let them thrive and and regenerate. So, um, you know, I, I think that my vocabulary is is limited in how to be describing these things, but I certainly sense it. Yeah. Oh, yes. I think all of our vocabulary is very limited, and so we're struggling to find these words. And uh, I noticed that with Savory Hub leaders. I notice it with other regenerative networks I'm involved with, like in Rhythm, where they do this organizational design work. Uh, but I wanted to get back to your 
question about the hub leaders, you know, we were talking about the spirituality of our connection to the land and our work with the land. And when we see it in a different way, you, it's really hard to unsee everything that's really alive. And, uh, but what I, what I have noticed over the years in this position, talking to hub leaders and potential hub leaders globally is that most of them have been through something in their life that pulled them out of the, the common mainstream narrative and they saw holes in that and they, they had to create a new narrative for themselves. Like something mm-hmm. pulled them out. Does that make sense? And that yeah, they, sure. they started asking big, big questions. And it, a lot of time it comes from a personal health journey for myself. That was true. I had a, a really debilitating autoimmune condition that I had to work through myself because, because uh, conventional medicine didn't, didn't have answers. And so that's just one example, but other, you know, Gabe Brown's story of farming. And finally, when he changed was when he was, his back was against the wall and he started looking for something new. And I think that's what these, the hub leaders share is that they're looking, they've experienced something different and they want to build into that and, and help that emerge uh, more for other people as well and to help other people. So when I talk to them, even though I've never met them and they're from other countries, completely different cultural context, but there's this, this underlying sense of knowing. And I think it's because we have such deeply held values that are shared. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting. And I've noticed the same thing too, that you have people that have gone through things like health issues and they've decided to look at things differently and they, they look at life differently. And so certainly if they're farmers or ranchers or others that they look at things differently, but I've seen a lot of people too, that were on career tracks that just were not satisfying and they wanted to become farmers or ranchers or get outside more. And oftentimes they had no connection before to farming and ranching. And as they approach it, they've approached it, um, I don't know, eyes wide open. And, and I think wanting to embrace it as, as broadly with this global consciousness as possible. And I could, I can just see what you're describing it it, uh, it reminds me of some of the books of Louis Bromfield. Are you familiar with Louis Bromfield? Mm-hmm. Okay, the he. No, I, must be. So, uh, I did a podcast uh, about him, and it was because I uh, I've talked to several people that were very influenced by Louis Bromfield, and it's back in he was back in Paris in the 1920s, and he ended up getting a farm started outside of Paris, but he came back to the states, and he was. He was writing movie scripts and writing novels, but he decided he just wanted to go back and farm. And he went to um, Ohio and found a farm called Malabar Farm. And he started doing what we would today call regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. And he went in and started trying to recover the, the farm and the soil and people came from all over. And if you get a chance, it's out of out of print now, but you can find a book called Malabar Farms, where he talked about that experience. But cool. it, it was kind of a spiritual awakening by him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have read his books now because uh, what he experienced back in the, it would really be around 1940. Um, people are feeling it now, you know, 80 years later, uh, that it's, it's mm-hmm. just a it, it, it's something that's special. So you're working with special people that have a special responsibility. I want to go back to this now to not reductionist, 
But if you could apply goals that were acres or number of people, uh, it, it seems like it's awfully hard not to try to measure, you know, that you could you could look at an area that a hub might be participating in and say that there's this number of acres, but we're seeing them improve. We're seeing them change. We're seeing, you know, more acres or we're seeing more people that are are believing um, in this direction and committed to it. Are, the, are there any things like that that you're able to apply for, you know, for to push yourself ahead a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And each hub is connected to the Savory Institute. Um, we have what we call a conscious contract. So we, we are, it's not an agreement that says everything that's going to go wrong, you know, what we're going to do to each other when everything goes wrong. Like that's to me what a typical legal agreement is. This defines our relationship because we work in a very relationship-based way. And so what we're basically saying is that we're in agreement that we are going to work together towards the regeneration of the world's grasslands, them being in their specific region, us holding the space for this collective network. And, um, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought, Roger. So, it was relating back to your oh your question about territory. So what we um, what we measure ourselves on at the Savory Institute and by extension through the Savory Global Network is the number of people trained. So land managers that have been trained in holistic management and the number of acres that have been influenced by holistic management. And so we we do. I mean we we are responsible to our supporters to to deliver something concrete. Otherwise we're just talking and we really pride ourselves at the Savory Institute in focusing on it and dedicating ourselves to what we call committed action. So we want to be implementers. We want to make change on the ground. We want to work with professionals and, and experts to support those that are making decisions every day that affect the land. Because if we don't see this change and we can't tangibly measure the changes that we're making, we're just talking and that's not enough. So yes, we're definitely measuring through um, people trained and then acres influenced and with our we have a program called eov which is our monitoring protocol that measures overall ecological health of a land base mm -hmm. and it's measurement based there's a lot of protocols out there that support regenerative claims especially in consumer packaged goods that um, are model based and that's that's one way to do it but for us it's really important that it's measurement based so we can say because of these management choices and actions it's taking the entire ecosystem in a what we call regenerative direction. And when we were talking in Clubhouse, I used the term ecological uplift because I want to try and avoid buzzwords and regeneratives quickly becoming one of those. But what we're, what we're truly measuring is like the entire ecosystem is moving in it towards more life, towards more health, more, more capacity, more resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Now, when you look at the world, and, and actually, before I got on the phone with you, I literally looked at the world. I downloaded another Google Earth and was spinning all over the world and kind of looking at everything. And one thing you notice is that there's, when you look at the landmass, well, first, first of all, it's mostly water in the whole world. And then when you look at the land, you see, especially in these Google Earth satellite shots, it's either brown or green. And, and a lot of the brown is desert. 
And there's more desert now than there used to be. And and I think that uh, some would feel like if we're not being regenerative, there'll be more desert in the future, too, if we're not using some of these, these practices. So it's, you know, I could just sit and stare at this globe spinning on Google, Google Earth and looking at all this area that you that really is so far gone already, it's, it's going to be hard to bring it back. And, um, and, and somehow I can imagine there's a question coming here someplace, but I, but somehow, you know, I think of, of you of looking at the entire world and what's going on and trying to bring the world towards this global consciousness uh, and, and trying to improve the circumstances in the world do you do you take that broad view? Do you do you look at the areas in danger worldwide and say, can we go in there and help more because it's it's getting worse and we need to make it better? We need to make it regenerative. And you target areas of the world that you you want to go in and develop. Um, I so in my role as the Savory Global Network coordinator, I work more with a. Um, a pull, like a they would call it, I guess, a pull strategy in marketing. Like, I'm not going to push anything, or we're not going to go into a region. We're going to uh, attract local leaders who have the shared vision that we have. And most of them say, "Look, I'm going to do this anyway." But I think if I do it with you, I'm going to get there faster and be better. Mm-hmm. So let's let's join up. And that's oh, that's perfect. That is exactly the kind of person that that is the ideal hub leader. So that is in my role. There's a whole other in, entity, or we call it a, a, I guess you could say a program within the Savory Institute called Impact Landed that um, our CEO, Daniela Ibada Howell, is leading up. And it's doing exactly what you're saying. She's working with large, large funding sources, large, like international organizations, governments to help those that are in the most need. And they're usually the places that no one wants to invest in. And so they need help the most. There's a lot of attractive places to invest in, um, even with impact investing, like Brazil and, and other places, um, because it, you know the story is established and, and people understand the need. But the places like the Sahel and those those brown spaces, they're not getting what they need, and we can help. We feel like we have this special offering to the grasslands and the former grasslands of the world because of Alan's insight and, and his creation of holistic plant grazing. It's, it's amazing. Now, I have to ask you something else. When you define grassland, mm-hmm. technically, I guess, uh, some of the cereal crops like wheat and oats, they're really grasses. We just eat their seeds, right? Right. They, right. Did they get to be in their, did they get to be in the club or are they, are they on their own? Yeah, no, they, they certainly can. I mean, what we really love is perennial grasses with the lit, big, big, big root systems. I, there's a famous picture by the Land Institute in Kansas, which we were talking about yesterday, where there's a, a, a if you go in the building, there's this picture of um, a perennial grass. And I think it's, I think it's pretty famous on social media. You'll, I see it popped yeah. up in different places, but. Curse eye or curse something. I can't think of the name yeah, of it right um, now. They created a perennial wheat, um, but I, they, so they are, they appreciate the perennial, but the, the root system of a perennial grass was like two stories high. Right. Like you would walk up the stairs and you're still walking past this root system. So we, uh, the, when we think of grasslands, I absolutely annuals are part of the, the plant community, 
um, like cereal grains and other ones, but, but we also need those deep rooted perennial grasses to hold the soil in place and provide so much life and, and nutrients for all the, all the life in the soil. So you kind of put up with them. They're not going to have to go get their own savory Institute then. No, <laughs> no. And it's not, you know, there's nothing there. We don't want to be polarizing. And so that's why we focus on this idea of a holistic context. And I was talking to the corn and soybean farmer yesterday about that, that it depends on what the context of the decision makers are and the tools you use um, to, to impact the land. You know, it's not, there's not a right or wrong answer because we're dealing with complexity. I don't see how anybody could argue with the fact that there needs to be progress made and holistic management and, and regenerative agriculture and the systems that you're talking about. Now, one, a couple of people in the clubhouse room said, mm-hmm. well, gee, my, um, my grandpa used to operate like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and mm-hmm. probably everybody's got that had a farm background, had a grandpa that did more of that. As we've started moving towards more uh, monocropping, often cases that they've got a, got away from good habits, that the um, amount of rotation and keeping good pastures up and, and grazing in the pastures and so forth was replaced with the period where everybody was pulling the fences out and weren't having livestock out in pastures anymore. And we're you know, plowing right through ground that probably should have been left to pasture. You're in the middle of this and you're talking to people all over the world. How's that feel? Well, it's the most energizing work for me and it gives me such a sense of purpose. And um, I was telling you earlier, Jody Butterfield, Alan's wife is always worried about me because she's like, I get emails from you at 11 o'clock and then you're on these phone calls at 5 a.m. because, you know, I've got to think of the global time zones. And she's like, you're going to burn out something. And, I, and I'm Jody, I'm fine. It's great because the people are, and it's not that I don't get tired. I, I will say there are moments, especially with all these fires in California, that's really discouraging. Yeah. But what keeps me going is the, the heart and the spirit of these people that I get to talk to. And they're, they are, I think the best people on earth. I think they're just incredible. Um, I just wanted to mention a few other things and sure. related to this. Um, I was on the call this morning or the meeting this morning with the new hub in Israel. So they're, they're ranching in the Golan Heights. Can you imagine? Can you yeah. imagine? And she said that she had come across books about um, gra- grasslands in Israel. So Israel was once grasslands. And I think that thinking of, you know, the, this, this notion that, Oh, well, my grandfather's all we've done this always, you know, now they're calling it regenerative agriculture, but I think it's so interesting to go back to the people who saw it before it started on a, a, this path of degeneration that we seem to be on and capture those stories. What did the rivers look like? What did the fields look like? What was it like to be a kid then? And I, I think that's so important to helping us know the potential and imagining what these places can be. Um, because I, I actually believe, and I've seen, and I think there's data to support this, that Regeneration can, can happen faster than we think. So we can turn things around pretty fast. And um, Seth Itchkin from for Soil for Climate, he's a on the advisory circle for the Savory Institute, and he, he and I have done work together. And he was um, talking about how quickly carbons can be sequestered. It doesn't take a long time, but you can really start moving. And there is the, the studies to support that. Um, so if we, you know, if Israel was grasslands and we have people who once who remember what it was like when things were so much healthier and we can sequester carbon quickly. I think it gives me tremendous hope to um, 
that we, we just need to decide to, you know, and, and start exploring and learning and working together and talking to each other and figuring out and testing and being creative and sharing what we learn with each other. And I think we'll get there so quickly. Um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention, Roger, is I, I live in this really eclectic, tiny, tiny community on the, the California, Oregon, Nevada border, way up in Modoc County in, in a really rural area. And I live really close to a, a Paiute community, uh, um, the Paiute tribe, uh, Northern Paiute um, band. And one of my neighbors had, um, I'm using his words, I don't want to, I don't want to tell other people's story, but he had a really rough life. And sometimes when we, we have these conversations about my work and it's so funny because he's like, yeah, yeah, of course you're, you feel this way. Like you work with regenerative farmers. Like you spend all day talking to these people who are like inspired and creative and they're insightful and they're like awoke. And, and he's like, yeah, of course you think everything's great. And I think I just have to laugh because it's, it's really true. Like, I think my perspective of things um, is different because I get to talk to so many amazing people all the time. It's just, it's wonderful, but our challenges are huge. So we do need each other. You know, I love hearing stories like that. And I feel the same way that you can, you can walk into a room sometimes and you get a sense of the room. You, you've had that happen. Everybody has that you get a vibe, you know, you yeah. walk in and sometimes you feel like, ah, oh, I better get a turn around and walk back out again. But when people are charged up with a mission, like the people we're talking about, man, it's just different. You, there's an energy level. Now, I have to admit that oftentimes uh, in agriculture, they're not getting wealthy from it, you know, and, and there are some people that are just really getting by and, 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 you know, barely making as much as they feel like they need to make. But you can tell they're, they're optimistic and they're energized and they feel like they're making a difference. And it's kind of like regeneration starts with me. You know, it's kind of like, you yeah. Know, yeah. Um, and, and then you have this kind of symbiotic relationship, maybe with the land and the farming of the system and nature and, and all of that. And you're in the middle of all of that. And I, and I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think that um, I, I want to wrap up with well, a couple of things. Um, one is that people are kind of want to find out more, uh, you know, where do they go to learn more about what you're doing and how they might get connected with what you're doing? Mm. Yeah, the Savory's website's pretty easy to remember. There's no www's or anything like that, .coms. It's just savory.global. And you can go to the website and learn a lot about the network, about our work, about our partners, about EOV, which is the monitoring protocol, and then the um, partner program called Land to Market that brings together brands who want to source regenerative supply and then mm -hmm. um, producers who are EOV verified, which means, hey, we, we have the data to back up this regenerative claim. So there's ways to learn about those programs, about the global network. Um, if you, I deal and work with the global network. So if you had specific questions about that, you could email me directly. It's asmith at savory.global. So A for Apple, like my first name, Abby, and then Smith. Pretty simple. Well, Abby, I, I want you to come back again. I feel a little guilty when I get you into a podcast in the clubhouse <laughs> room because you got people that are you need to work with all over the world. You're really, really uh, a busy, important job. But I, I'm so grateful that you've taken some, the time to speak to us. And, and thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. 
Oh my gosh, Roger. Thank you so much. It's really fun. I love our conversations. It's really energizing for me. So I will come anytime. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us. Thanks for listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.